Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Reclaim Me, the podcast, episode one. My name is Madeline Heather, and I'm the founder and host of Reclaim Me. Reclaim Me is a podcast where survivors of abuse and trauma can tell their stories freely, reclaiming their voice, reclaiming the narrative, and reclaiming control. It is our vision that all victim survivors have the freedom to tell their story. Together, we can create a society where it is not shameful to disclose abuse, and survivors can feel more empowered to disclose. To kick things off, I thought it was only appropriate that I start this discussion by sharing my own story of sexual assault. So here we go. My name is Madeline Heather, and I'm a survivor of sexual assault. A word of warning, this podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. So let's start. A bit of background into who I was. I was growing up as a kid, I was a really energetic, little crazy kid. I ended up breaking my leg when I was three or four, when I was in kinder. And when I was home with this huge cast up above my knee, I started to walk on my hands to get places. And I was climbing the walls and my poor mum and dad had to look after me while I was home all the time. And once the cast came off, my mum just said, she has to get into gymnastics. And I ever since then, I, I was this gymnast that became my identity from three or four. I really quickly got picked up by an elite program and I started training for the Victorian Institute of Sport. I was a really good gymnast. I was an elite gymnast for many, many years. And when I was about 12, I had a really severe back problem. And it came to fruition through many, many tests and years and years of training in pain that I had multiple stress fractures and multiple bulging discs. So I took some time off, did a lot of rehab, and I really couldn't get back into the swing of things after that. And I made the decision at 13 years old (laughs) to retire from gymnastics. And in that year afterwards, uh, from retiring, I, I left the school that I was at. I used to go to school in the city with all of the other elite gymnasts. And my family lives about 45 minutes from the city. So I made the call that I would move back to the high school that my older sister went to. This was like a co-ed school and 
I'd never really been in an environment with co-eds and I'd never been at school all day you know we would get to school late and leave school early and and I my identity was so much of being a gymnast so starting year eight was a really really big change for me and I really really felt like I didn't have a sense of belonging or a sense of purpose I met a lot of friends there and I was a little bit of a rebel I think because I was trying to find my place in the world and I didn't really know who I was I met these friends and in, through being a bit of a rebel, we decided that, you know, we wanted to go out and we wanted to go drinking and we were 14 now, we were adults, we were grown-ups, we want to do the things that grown-ups do. And then comes, I guess, the night of the assault. Two friends of mine and I decided that we, were, we wanted to drink that weekend and one of the girl's dads was like a cool dad. So she said to us, my dad's totally cool with us going to his house He's going to buy us drinks. We can go there. We can have fun. We can go out and see some of the other boys. We're going to have such an amazing time. So we spent the better part of that week at recess and lunchtime planning that we were going to get some cruises and we were going to get drunk for the first time. My mum was quite apprehensive of me having a sleepover at this friend's house. Obviously, she didn't know what our plans at the time were. And we got to the house and my mum just went in and she did what most you know normal parents do when when you don't know the family of the person's house your child's staying at. And she spoke to the father and he said there was going to be no drinking. We were just going to stay there the night and watch some movies. So I grabbed my sleeping bag and my pillow and I went in. Uh, we really quickly got the drinks and we started to get ready. We, we had a couple of vodka cruises and we were putting our makeup on because we had plans to go and see one of the girl's boyfriends later that night. And I'd been talking to one of the boys from school who was also 14 and actually he was 13 and we were going to meet up with them later and kind of be those youths in the street having a couple of sips of alcoholic drinks and trying not to be too much of menaces but we really felt like we were grown-ups. And we got ready, put all of the makeup on, went downstairs. It was a two-storey unit in the centre of the town that I was living in at the time and we went downstairs, we went out, we met the boys and that's when things really started to change quite drastically. So the dad had already said to us, here's some cigarettes, you can you can go out, I'll teach you how to smoke them. Uh, and then once we left, we really quickly had to come back. Something really changed and this, in my mind as I remember it, the, the demeanour really changed. Looking back on it, I think that in that moment when we were in the house and he had oversight over us having the alcohol that we were having and everything. He had power and control over us at that time. When we'd gone out, especially with two other males, I think that he'd lost that. So really quickly, the plans turned from being we're allowed to go out and see these guys to it being we, we're not allowed to, but if we come back into the house, we can have more drinks and we can just have fun there. As we went back to the house, we were kind of plied with more and more alcohol and we got to a point where we'd actually run out of alcohol. So I think initially there was about eight to 12 vodka cruises that were purchased for us to consume there and there was only really beer left. So perpetrator, which I'll call him from now on, decided to drive drunk down to the shops and purchase more alcohol. So he purchased a four pack of double black cruisers and we were all in the car at this stage as well. So he took us on this drunk driving adventure 
um, which was quite scary to be honest because he was quite intoxicated himself and then we came back and, and drank more. We were being encouraged to scull and it was kind of seen as this quite funny thing um, and I remember just getting more and more intoxicated and, and when that came on for me I was quite quite violently sick. Very quickly though my memory ends and I wake up on my back on this incredibly rough carpet and I didn't have my pants on anymore. I only had my top on and I was being held down by this immense pressure and I didn't, as I was coming to, I'd obviously passed out. As I was coming to, I realised there was this man on top of me. He was holding both of my legs down and spread out with his legs and he was holding both of my arms down with his arms and his full body weight was on top of me. He kept trying to to kiss my face and and I think some of the most vivid memories I have are this feeling of of stubble on my face and the smell of the cigarettes and the alcohol and it was quite obviously I was quite panicked in that moment I'm trying to move my face and I was being held down and I couldn't move I wasn't screaming I think I didn't really know at that point what was happening to me, but I was trying to get away. He moved up and down my body at different times. He performed oral sex on me. He was kissing my breasts and he penetrated me both with his fingers and his penis at different times. I think one of the most vivid memories I have as well is is kind of coming out of going unconscious again and coming back to consciousness and, and having his flaccid penis in my mouth. They were all so overwhelming for me and and compounded by the fact that I was in and out of consciousness. I didn't fully understand what was happening, but I was wriggling and trying to move and get away. And I ended up having quite severe abrasions, I guess, on my back and on my fingers from, from trying to push him off me, but being pushed so firmly against carpet. So I had this carpet burn all over my back. During this time, his partner, who was home the entire evening and, and was a part of all of the commotion, she was upstairs, staying upstairs, and she'd walked over to this balustrade and looked down and could see into the living room where I was on the floor and she could see what was happening. He, he didn't have pants on, I was wriggling around, I didn't have pants on. She knew very well what was happening and she yelled at him but she just went back to bed. That happened during a period where I was conscious still. I do really vividly remember her looking down on me from this second story balustrade. And then a while later, after the assault had probably gone on for well over an hour, she came down again and saw that the assault was continuing and she was the one who ended up calling the police. She dialed triple zero. In that time, he got off me. And I was so panicked because I thought, you know, triple zero is coming I'm still not fully aware of what's happening. I don't have my pants on. I don't know where my friends are. And I felt so disoriented and so scared. I really didn't understand what was happening. So I started to cry. I ran upstairs really quickly, pushed past her, and and I found one of the girls' pairs of school pants there. I put the school pants on. I ran downstairs, and I, I started to forage through the couch looking for my mobile phone, and I, I couldn't find it. And that was the moment that the police walked in and they saw me bawling my eyes out trying to find my phone and I couldn't find it. The police escorted me outside. I was coherent enough to say my name, my date of birth, where I lived, what my parents' names were. But every time that she asked me, what did he do to you? What happened? 
I just kept saying, I don't know, he might have. I don't know why I lied in that moment. I knew what had happened. I guess maybe I didn't reconcile what it was or what, what had happened to me. To be honest, in that moment, the most traumatizing thing was him trying to kiss me. I think because I knew what that was, I knew what kissing was. As a 14-year-old that hadn't had any experience with sex yet, and especially as an elite gymnast, you're not exposed to sex ed because you're not at school enough to, to have sex ed as, a, as a, a class that you have. And I guess at being that young age, how much sex ed about sexual interactions had we really had? Probably not very much. The perpetrator was still inside at this time and, and I just broke down and hugged the police officer. And in the police officer's statement, which I received when I made a request through Freedom of Information, the police officer said I just broke down and I just smelled so incredibly of cigarettes and alcohol. Basically, the perpetrator was arrested and the perpetrator was taken in the back of the divisional van back to um, the police station in my local town. I had also gone in the police vehicle in the back seat and been taken there. While I was in the police station, I was kind of given a bit of space for a while. I tried to call a lot of my friends. I couldn't get in contact with them. And that's when the panic for me really started to set in. One minute I was sitting down, sculling drinks and laughing with my friends. The next moment I'm on my back in this dark room being assaulted and I didn't know where they were. I didn't know if they were in danger. And every time I called them, they wouldn't answer. I did get onto one of them eventually and I told them what had happened and they said that they didn't believe me, which I mean, at 14, I don't blame them to a degree, but that was the first interaction that I had had when I told somebody what had happened to me was that they didn't believe me. The girls were told to come back to the police station and I believe that that's what they did. In that time, I needed to go to the toilet and the police officer that was with me had to seek some advice, I guess, on what to do because there could be evidence if I went to the bathroom. She escorted me to the bathroom and I needed to wee with the door open and she told me if I wipe I need to, that I needed to give her the, the toilet tissue because they needed to keep that as evidence and I was clearly still intoxicated and I weed and just out of habit I dropped it into the toilet and she, she kind of pushed me off the toilet to save the evidence. That did traumatise me for a few years afterwards. I was quite upset that that had happened but looking back at that now I'm really grateful that she did that, that she went to that level to try and save that evidence. She did that so that I would have a better case so I understand it and I, I couldn't thank her more for doing that. After all of that happened my parents were called and my parents came. There was a small interaction in a, in a room with my parents. My dad's sitting there screaming, I'm going to kill him. The police officer's just telling him to be quiet. My mum's sitting there crying and me laying on the floor, really exhausted and just crying and obviously looking quite disheveled. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. In that moment, uh, the police uh, asked my parents for permission for me to have a full forensic examination done, like a rape kit, and they consented to that. And that's when I was transported to the Royal Children's Hospital. At the Royal Children's Hospital, there was a forensic medical examiner that that came in um, and spoke to me. She had to interview me extensively about what had happened that night and that was quite traumatic because I had to go through everything in so much detail. She was so lovely and it was as nice as a traumatic experience could possibly be. She explained to me that, you know, it's not my decision at this time and we're not making decisions at this time whether we're going to press charges against this person. But what we're going to do is we're going to collect all of the evidence that we can and then we'll make some decisions later. We're just going to do it now. And she really calmed me down and that's when I really opened up and in those questions that she asked me, she ascertained things like he was kissing my breasts and he was, he'd gone down on me orally and he had done a lot of different things and kissed my face. So a part of the exam was taking swabs from my face, taking swabs from my breasts, taking swabs from inside of me, taking, I'm not sure if they took nail clippings, but they took a urine sample They took pictures of the abrasions on my back and things like that as well. And that was basically the end of the examination kit that was completed. And from that moment on, I just went home. It almost seems like this is a part where this next chapter starts. And the next chapter really was Monday at school. Um, I went to school. My my mum and dad had decided that they would call the school and let them know what had happened. So... The principal was advised of what had happened and the school counsellor was also advised of what had happened just in case any of us and any of our friends wanted to seek any assistance from the counsellor that they were already aware of what had happened. One awful thing, and this started a string of awful things that that really traumatised me even more after the assault had happened was that the psychologist was actually the mother of a student who was in my year level and that woman told her daughter what had happened to me. I'm not sure if she ever lost her license for that, but I know that there was a reprimand in place because she had done that because basically her daughter told everybody else in the school that didn't already know. I kind of walked into high school, left on a, on the Friday afternoon being this kind of a rebel but kind of nice energetic person that got really good grades and was a little bit of a nerd too. And I walked in on Monday 
being a bit famous almost. People were staring at me. Nobody really wanted to talk to me. People were angry at the other girls because they'd left me there. And I should go back to that actually. The girls, uh, a few on the night that 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 had all happened, the girls, when they, they weren't there anymore and I'd woken up and they weren't there, they had experienced, I think, some creepy things that were happening and I had actually passed out while they were still there. When I had passed out, the dad kind of said, look, if you really want to go to your boyfriend's house, you can go. So those two left and went to the boyfriend's house. And look, looking back on that moment, I really think that part of this perpetrator's mindset of the evening was to assault me. And the moment that I had drank so much that I was now passed out, he had control over me and he had con- wanted the other two to leave. So that was when he allowed them to go, whereas previously they weren't allowed to go. There was a very firm, no, this is not going to happen. So the girls left me there and I think that they both probably felt quite a bit of guilt after that, but I didn't harbour any guilt towards them. I don't think that they anticipated that what would happen to me would happen. So in that next year, going through high school, it was so difficult, I guess, just still that age as well, but I was really painted by a lot of other parents as bad news. People's parents didn't want them to hang out with me. People's parents said that, I don't think anybody ever said that it was my fault, but it was implied that my actions and my behavior that night, the fact that I was drinking, was the reason that I was assaulted. And it was very clear to me that I wasn't allowed to hang out with a lot of people's friends. Back to the the sleeping bag that I bought on with me that night, that was still with the girl whose father it was and months later my my parents wanted to get that back and I don't think they really thought it through to be honest but they wanted me to get it back so my mum drove me over to this girl's mother's house her parents were divorced so she had possession of the sleeping bag at her mum's house and I walked up to the door and I rang the doorbell and the front door was open but that fly screen door was closed so you can't really see through it but you can see out of it And as soon as I walked up, she said, what the fuck is she doing here? And that was a lot of the response that I got to a lot of people's parents. They really didn't want me around their children. And that was one of the probably hardest things to continue to deal with. And it really made it feel like it was my fault that I'd done something really horribly wrong. I felt so much guilt, especially with a trial approaching. I remember saying to my friends, I wish that my parents didn't do this and I wish I didn't have to because I really felt like I was creating a separation between this girl and her father and and her extended family. He had young children as well at that time and I felt like I was putting this wedge between this girl and her family and I felt that I was the one that was guilty of that. Obviously now I look back on it and I was the victim in this case. None of this was my fault. The perpetrator was the one who committed the crime. But during that time with the compounded factors of all of the school and all of the people and not really having anybody to talk to that understood this or any other really avenues for me to talk to other people about that had gone through the same thing, I really did harbour a lot of guilt about it. Then comes the trial. The trial process um, for me wasn't the worst thing in the world. With the evidence that they had, the, the DNA evidence that they had on my body, there was no semen present inside of me. So there was three counts 
of penetration of a child under 16 that the perpetrator pled guilty to. The There was no additional counts. So there was a lot of rumours actually at school that went around years later, all, all the way through high school up until year 12, that this didn't actually happen. He wasn't a rapist because he didn't get charged with rape. And I kind of always said, like, you can split hairs over it if you want to, because in my mind, sexual penetration of a child under 16 speaks for itself. But the fact that basically there was no semen present, they couldn't determine what part of his body had penetrated me. And that's why that was the the crime that they, the three counts of that, the three counts of sexual penetration, that's why they were the ones that they decided to proceed with. He was convicted of those three Uh, I believe that he spent two years in jail for the crimes that he committed against me. The reason as well that my parents decided that they were going to accept this guilty plea uh, was because they didn't want me to be put into a position where I had to testify in in any way. And I'm really grateful for that. They were so much looking out for me and the fact was in their mind that there was enough evidence there to convict him I don't think that any of us thought that it would only be two years. I believe we kind of thought that a child rapist, which is what we believe that he is, really deserved a lot more time with the plethora of evidence that was there. Um, Even with the guilty plea, that was all that he got. So that was quite disappointing. And I think I'm quite disappointed of that moving on. I do believe that the reason as well that it was decided to be lower was because he was profiled as an opportunistic offender. And what an opportunistic offender is, is basically in the name, somebody who finds the opportunity. They're not going to go out so much and seek to perpetrate against a child or they don't have an affinity for children like a pedophile who would be a preferential offender. They are somebody who wants to have possibly things like power and control but if the person that was passed out was 14 or the person that was passed out was 21 they would take that opportunity but I guess not always so the discussions were that he was not um, as much of a threat to the public he was out on bail for over a year and a half until he was convicted and that was also a lot harder to deal with he still lived in that local area that I lived in and I had to deal with the chance at all times that I could see him in any place that I was but as you move on I do find myself quite lucky that the situation unfolded as it did that the police arrived on scene and the police initially believed me that my case was treated as a case from the very beginning from the moment that the police were involved that the evidence was collected in accordance with the law and in accordance with best practice procedures at that time. The police and everybody did everything that they possibly could to get the conviction that they could. And I never had an experience with the legal system that they didn't believe me. I did have that experience a lot with the community and the people around me and the adults around me, the fucking adults that blamed me for what happened. That was really difficult, but I'm very, very lucky and grateful for the situation that I found myself in, obviously within the most horrific of circumstances. Years later, it took me a really long time to get here, to get to this place. It hasn't been easy by any means, and some days it's harder to talk about my experience than others, but now I feel so empowered with my story to open up this door for other people and allow them to share their story freely. One thing I know is the moment that I open up and talk about this, the moment that 
I started posting more on Instagram about my experiences and being really open about the reasons that I am a passionate advocate for victims of crime, of sexual abuse, of domestic violence, and told my story. I've had so many people reach out to tell me theirs. And because I have this interest in in this type of area and because I want to advocate so much more for it, I find myself consuming a lot more information and I'm a well more informed person about trauma and abuse. So when people say things to me like, but you weren't kicking and screaming or they they think that uh, the perfect picture of an assault victim is, is somebody who's bruised and battered, if you saw me that night, I didn't look like that. I was tired, I was disheveled, I was crying, I didn't look myself, but I wasn't beaten to shit and I was standing in front of a police officer saying he might have and I think that that's something that needs to be spoken about more and that's what's really really driven me to be such a passionate advocate for victims of crime because I want this discussion to be had more. I want people to know that some of the things that have happened to them are fucking crimes and that people out there really do take this shit seriously It is not something that I want people to hold on to for the rest of their lives feeling guilty for. And I do understand what it is like to sit there and feel guilty for somebody being prosecuted for the crimes that they've done to you. And I know what it feels like to sit there sometimes and say to yourself, was it really that bad? I mean, I drank so much. Was it my fault? What was I wearing? What did I do? But it's in those moments that you need to have a a really good network of people around you to bring you back to reality and tell you that none of it was your fault. You didn't choose for this to happen. And even if you were intoxicated, you did not ask for it. So I want to let you know that the reason that I am doing this and the reason that I am so passionate about it is because I fucking understand. And I'm here for you every step of the way. Now I'm a passionate victims of crime advocate. Now I'm a strong and empowered woman. Now I've gotten to this place in my life where I can freely sit here and talk about it and not have nightmares every night. And that comes through a lot, a lot of hard work. Well, thank you so much for listening. That is my story. My name is Madeline Heather and I'm a survivor. Thank you for listening to Reclaim Me and we'll be back next week with another new story. Bye. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.